0: Good morning. good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It is good to be with you today. I'm really excited because we are in our second week of a series that we began last week called The Gift of Being Yourself. And last week, I told you that we were going to talk about for the next two weeks everyone's favorite topic. And that topic is you. We're going to talk about ourselves. Everybody loves to actually talk about ourselves. We humans are notoriously drawn to talk about ourselves. And I believe the reason for that is actually a beautiful reason. You see, God hardwired within each of us a desire to be seen. You have a desire to be seen. I have a desire to be seen. God hardwired inside of each of us a desire to be known. Deep down inside, we each want to be known. And even though we love talking about ourselves, most of us have a really hard time being ourselves. You see, we love talking about ourselves, we love telling stories about ourselves, we love when the conversation comes back to ourselves, but most of us, if we were to be really honest, we have a hard time being ourselves. You see, for many of us, we have become human doings instead of human beings, We've become human doings instead of human beings. We've placed doing in front of being and we've gotten confused on what is most important in this life. You see, the most important mission in your life is not what you do, but who you become. The most important mission in your life, the most important mission in my life is not what you are going to go and do, But it is who we are becoming. And yet most of us, we are suffering from a true self-amnesia. We we don't know who we are, and so we don't know who we are becoming. We suffer from a true self-amnesia, and we have forgotten who we truly are. And sometimes we have forgotten whose we truly are, that we belong to God. And knowing who we truly are is essential to us living out our true selves, and that's why I want to spend the next few moments looking at that today, helping each of us take a step closer to knowing who we truly are. You see, the person the person that I most want you to get to know today is you. When we walk out of these doors in a few moments, the person that I most want you to better understand is you. And my hope and my prayer is that you will see you the way God sees you. That you will actually be able to get a glimpse, get a picture, get an idea and an understanding of how God actually sees you. And becoming your true self, it's not something that is like an accomplishment. It's not something that you can put on your to-do list. Like today, I am going to become my true self check, right? It's not something that you can get done. It's not something that you can do. It's something that you actually receive. It's a gift. It comes from God. And to know ourselves, we have to know God. And to know God, we have to know ourselves. And a genuine knowing of ourselves begins by looking at God And seeing how God is looking at us. That's what's so amazing about the process of actually knowing who we are. We get to look to God and we see how God actually looks at us. Can you wrap your mind around that for a moment? Like, how does God see you And when we are grounded in how God sees us, we begin to see ourselves more accurately. But this is the tension for all human beings. This is the tension that we face. You see, most of us, myself included, have such a hard time accurately seeing ourselves. We have a hard time seeing ourselves. Think about this. The last time you posted a picture on Facebook or Instagram or some other social media outlet, you probably made sure that you were looking good in that picture, didn't you? Now, think about it. When somebody takes your picture, right, they take your picture, what do you do? You say, let me see it, right? And after you see it, if it is approved by you, if you look okay in the picture, then you post it, right? And those of you that are like, "Oh, I I never do that." You're lying in church, okay? <laughs> because you do that, because I do that. You see, we all we we are all kind of crafting a persona. We're crafting a package because even we want to display and believe in the very best versions of ourselves. You see, we're willing to see ourselves, we're willing to see ourselves through a lens when the reality of that fits the view of what we want to be. But when life throws us into a circumstance and we are confronted with seeing some of our shadows or or seeing some of the areas that are darker, most of us, we call upon defense mechanisms that we've been calling upon throughout most of our lives and the human capacity to actually play defense and to choose self-deception is deeper than most of us will ever know. And the Bible actually speaks to this. The Bible speaks to this capacity that lives inside of each of us to actually deceive ourselves, to not see ourselves accurately. It says in Jeremiah 79 that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond a cure. Who can understand it? You see, we have the capacity to not even see ourselves accurately. And most of us, we don't even consciously know when we do this, when we choose self-deception. And and many theologians, what they have determined to call this, this ability to self-deceive, is many theologians call this original sin. Now, we humans, we like to call it a blind spot because a blind spot sounds so much nicer than sin, doesn't it? I have a little bit of a blind spot. We don't like to say like that I am a sinner. But another way to look at it is that every single one of us, we have a human default option. We have a human default option. And that is we so often can choose sin. We so often can choose the blind spot. Romans 3 23 says this for all for all for all that means every single one of us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and while we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves at times we can spot it a mile away in somebody else can't we we can look in the mirror all day long and say gosh I'm really doing okay right But we can look out there and we can see somebody else and say, they are a sinner. Oh my gosh, they are a sinner. Look at their sin. I mean, look at her sin and look at his sin and look at his sin and her sin. We can spot it a mile away in somebody else. But we have such a hard time with a willingness to see it in ourselves. I do this. I'm sure you do this. I I love my husband, Jarrett. We have been married for 20 years. Before that, we dated for three years. So we're 23 years into this journey, okay? I love him. He is the love of my life. I love co-parenting with him. I love co-pastoring with him. I think he's more handsome than Ryan Gosling, okay? I love my husband. But I want to tell you something. That man is a sinner. I mean... The sin runs deep in him, friends, and he's not here. He's out of town in Nashville speaking at another church today. So I can tell you this that man, he's a sinner. And we have such a propensity to see the sin in others. We can see their shortcomings, we can see the ways that they make mistakes, we can see the ways that they stumble, we can see the ways that they fall. And we can so see the speck of sawdust in someone else's life, but we're so unwilling to look at the log in our own. And knowing who we truly are, is to know that there are parts of us that have sinned. There are parts of us that have fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, I don't even think you have to be far down the path of self-knowledge to know that there are some basic things about us that are not as they should be. I know some basic things about me that are not the truest self that God created me to be. You see, I have always, throughout my life, preferred to be in control This is one of my core tendencies. This is one of my core blind spots. This is one of my core sins. I love being in control. I even try to lasso control away from God. And this is one of the core tendencies of my life. Even as a child, I never wanted to lose. Even as a kid, I never wanted to be in a situation where I would have to lose. Another core tendency of my life is that I regularly choose productivity. You see, I make lists even for my lists. I choose productivity in my life, and what I do is I choose productivity over people. And this is a blind spot. This is, this is a core sin tendency in my life. Another area is that I can try to dull fear or dull pain by escaping or by avoiding. And like Paul says, in so many ways, I am so much more than just the lead pastor of this church. Friends, I am the chief sinner among you. I have core tendencies, core ways in which I choose to live in the dark. And these have been with me most of my life. They are some of my core sin tendencies. But I want to let you know, they are not the whole of who I am. You see, there are many Christians that base their whole identity on being a sinner. Their view of themselves is solely based on naming themselves as a depraved, broken sinner. And honestly, I think that is all wrong. (laughs) I think that's broken theology. You see, you and I are not just sinners. We are sinners that are deeply loved. We are sinners that are deeply loved. And if anything should get you to say hallelujah or amen today, it should be that. We are sinners that are deeply, deeply loved. And the second part of that phrase makes all the difference in the world. If you and I only live from the fact that we are sinners, we are going to live far from freedom, far from grace, and far from love. Your primary status is that you are a son. You are a daughter who is loved by God. In fact, I could throw out the rest of this message. I could just throw it away and I could go around the room and I could point at every single person and say, Kelly, you are loved. Laura, you are loved. You are loved. Susan, you are loved. Teresa, you are loved. Keith, you are loved. I could just go around the room and name Every single one of us in this space, and just over and over and over say, You are loved. Because that is our primary status. And even though sin damaged that which was good, sin allowed us to discover that God's love is for us just as we are. Just as we are here in this space today, we are loved. Last week, we talked about all of the false selves that we create, the little ones, these egos, the ways that we edge God out, these personas, and how each of them has to be welcome actually at the table. And every single part of us is loved by God. And seeing ourselves clearly is one of Jesus' deepest desires for us. So I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to take a look into a passage that Jesus himself speaks to us as a way for us to actually see ourselves the way he sees us. I want you to turn to the book of Luke, it's in the New Testament, it's found on page 726. Luke 11, starting in verse 33. And this passage helps us actually see what Jesus sees when we look at ourselves. Luke eleven thirty three. it says this, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. So Jesus is, he's using this imagery. He's using this imagery of a lamp. And he's saying, nobody turns a lamp on and then actually covers it up. When you turn a lamp on, you turn it on in a dark room so that the lamp will actually bring light, right? And so Jesus goes on and he says, your eye, your eye, your ability to see, okay? Your ability to see yourself and your ability to see God. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. So what's Jesus saying here? Why is he calling out our eyes? Why is he calling out our eyes? Why, why this body part? Because Jesus knows that when we can actually see, when we can see ourselves, our whole essence gets flooded with light. You see, transformation includes the full purification Of our sight. If our eyes are healthy, if we can see ourselves, truly see ourselves the way God sees us, our whole body is filled with light. But when we can't see, when our view is tainted, or when we're squinting, or when we put on these rose colored glasses with ourselves, or all we choose to view is our false selves, the rest of us becomes dark. And Jesus goes on and he says, So see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. You see, Jesus so clearly uses the imagery of the light by instructing us on the importance of actually seeing, he says, See to it that the light within you is not darkness. We must learn to see. Jesus is instructing us and in saying, Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. Don't go around in the dark bumping into things and not actually seeing yourselves anymore. Turn the lights on to who. You truly are. Just like we talked about this last week, when we name our false selves, when we name who is actually sitting at the table, when we give them a name, we turn the light on. When we name our tendencies towards a persona, we turn the light on. When we name our ego the way that we edge God out, we turn the light on. And what happens is just as Jesus says in this passage, the whole body, our whole essence, is then filled up with light. And not only do we see ourselves as we are, we actually begin to see God as God truly is. Because for many of us, we don't just need to turn the lights on on how we see ourselves. For many of us, we need to turn the lights on on how we see God. You see, for many of us, we don't see God Clearly, we see God actually in the dark. For some of us, maybe for you, your view of God, when you think about God, when you look to God, you just see God as this big judge. That all God does is he just judges every little flaw in your life. Or maybe for you, when you see God, you see God as like this, this cop, this police officer. And he's kind of just like hiding out around the corner, just waiting to bust you when you do something wrong. That God is just this, this God, this, this being that's out to get you. For others, you see God as he's just like this, this old man that's out of touch. Like clearly he doesn't know about Facebook. He doesn't know about Instagram. So how could he even know about the problems that I'm facing? He's just this this old man that has no idea of what we are actually facing for others. You hoped that God would bring healing. You hoped that God would answer a prayer a certain way, and then he answered it differently. And so if you were to be really honest today, you're wondering, can God actually be trusted? Can I actually really put my trust in God? And God not only wants us to see ourselves as we truly are, but he wants us to see him as he truly is. And here's what's amazing about what God does in the process of transformation. Because once you experience the real, once you experience your real true self, once you experience the real true God, the unreal loses all of its appeal. Once you experience The real you, the unreal, loses all of its appeal. And to just know ourselves by our sins, to just know ourselves by our blind spots, to just know ourselves by our false selves or or by our egos, leads us into a life of sin management. Which I just want to say is a miserable existence. If you are living a life of sin management, the odds are quite high that you are living a miserable existence. And what you're trying to do is go through this life avoiding sin, and then when you don't avoid it, you go through a gauntlet of guilt when your strategies are unsuccessful. And I wanna say, I do not believe that that is why Jesus came, why he died, and why he gives life to abundance. He did not call us to a life of sin management. It is knowing our sinfulness so that we can experience God's grace and forgiveness and understand, understand our tendencies so that our hearts are transformed, not just our behaviors. You see, what, what, what drives me so crazy is when I meet with Christians and all they want to transform is their behaviors and they're uninterested in their heart actually being transformed. And what Jesus most cares about is your heart. He cares about your heart being transformed. And trust me, if your heart is transformed, your behaviors will be transformed. It's impossible to live from the same heart and have the old behaviors. And what Jesus longs to transform in our lives is our heart. And see, many of us think that God will love us if we change. But God loves us so that you can change. God loves you so that you can transform, so that you can be all of who he created you to be. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to share with you a tool that I discovered, mm, I want to say maybe about... 10 to 12 years ago, and this tool came into my life at such an essential moment. Last week, I introduced you to my false selves. I introduced you to Bossy Pants Genie. I introduced you to Thorny Weakness Genie. And I introduced you to Pretender Genie. You remember her? She's great, isn't she? Yeah, I introduced you to those three false selves. And soon after I began to name my false selves, I was introduced to this tool that helped me better understand why these false selves have found a nest in my life. And this tool is a tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram. How many of you have ever heard of the Enneagram? Mm, that's good. There's quite a few of you. Well, those of you that haven't heard about it, you're about to hear about it, and it's about to blow your minds. So the Enneagram, the Enne- that was supposed to be funny. Um, the Enneagram is simply this, Enia means nine and gram means points. So it's just nine points and you're gonna see an image of it in a moment. It's nine points on a circle, and it dates all the way back to the fourth century. It's, it's not exclusively uh, a Christian tool, although some studies indicate that this originated in the Christian faith, that it actually originated with the Desert Fathers. But if you Google the Enneagram, you will go down many, many, many rabbit holes in all kinds of incredible, incredible teachings. But essentially, the Enneagram is just a very old typology that describes nine different characters. And the Enneagram contains an inner dynamic that essentially aims at transformation. It's not just a tool to tell you about your personality. It's a tool to help you transform. And the Enneagram is so much more than a description of how you do things or how you don't do things. It essentially is a picture of who you are when you are healthy and who you are when you are unhealthy. And we need all nine lenses on the world in their fullest and most healthy expression. You see, we need all nine types to sit at the table. Because all nine types give us a view and a picture of just how amazing God is now, some of you may have taken this test online. We sent you uh, a test this last week in our email. But those of you that didn't raise your hand, those of you that are unfamiliar with the Enneagram, I'm going to walk you through the nine different types. I'm going to just give you a tiny, tiny, tiny picture of each of the types. I'm not even going to be able to scratch the surface. But what I want you to do is I want you to see where you identify. If I describe a type and you go, ooh, that's me, I want you to connect with it. Now, some of you. You in this room, especially those of you that are in the millennial generation, I know what you're saying to me right now. You're saying, you can't put me in a box, lady. Okay? <laughs> you can't put me in a box. I will not go in your nine types. I will not go there. Don't put me there. Okay? So I, I want to lovingly say to you, think of it like a neighborhood. Okay? You can kind of like hang out in one of these neighborhoods. You're not getting boxed in. If you want to go get tacos in a different neighborhood, it's totally welcome to you, okay? So think about it that way for a minute, okay? So I, I want to walk you through the nine different types. So the first, we're going to start at the top of the Enneagram, okay? Normally you would think start at number one, but what I want to do is I want to start at the top of the Enneagram, just a little bit over to the left with the eight. The eights, nines, and the ones, they make up this triad called the gut triad, okay? Eight, nines, and ones, they feel things in their gut. They just have instincts and they think their instincts are right, okay? So I want to first talk to you about the eight. The eight is known as a challenger. How many of you have taken the Enneagram test and you've identified with a type eight before? A few of you in the room, okay. I'm going to describe the type eight. If they were to describe themselves, the type eight would say, I am strong, no matter what. I'm strong. Eights are commanding. They're blunt. They're leaders. They love intensity. They are very, very intense. They don't mind confrontation. In fact, sometimes fighting for an eight is a form of loving. Okay. So, so sometimes they go out and they find themselves a fight just so that they can actually say to somebody that I love you. They're motivated. They're motivated by power and they avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. An eight An eight is who you want in the front line of a battle because an eight doesn't back down. Now, what's so beautiful about eight is eights show us the power of God. That's the characteristic of God that an eight reveals to us. They show us the power of God. They show us that God is always, always, always in control. And when eights are healthy, they have learned to actually use their power in the right measure at the right time. And they can collaborate with others and they don't have to feel the power or control themselves. But the opposite of their power can be vengeance, can be lust, not only just sexual lust, which it can be that, but it can also be the belief that there has to be more. With an eight, there's never enough. With an eight, they, they're, they're never done. They believe that they can change reality. And with an eight, it's never, ever, ever over until they say it's over. So how many of you would say after the description of the eight? Yep, that's definitely me. How many eights do we have here in the room? Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Awesome. All right, right here in the vest, would you be willing to help me? Would you come up here? Would you help me welcome our first eight to the stage? Tell me your name. Juan, I'm Jeannie. Nice to meet you, you, eight. It's good to have you here. Okay, you're going to stand right here. I'm a fellow eight, so I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, there's more coming up here, so you're going to stand right here. OK, good one. Are you OK to stand here? A lot of people are going to be looking at you for about 10, 15 minutes. OK, good. All right. The next is the nines. So look out, guys. There's nine people coming up on this stage. So when you raise your hands, you now know what's gonna happen, okay? Nines, nines are known as the peacemaker. And I know some of your numbers out in the crowd, so if you don't raise your hand, I'm gonna really call on you. Nines are known as the peacemaker. If they were to describe themselves, they would most likely say, I'm content. Nines are so pleasant. They're just lovely people to be around. I love having nines as my friends. Um, Nines are pleasant, they're laid back, they're easygoing. they're accommodating, they're motivated by a need to keep the peace and to avoid conflict. And what nines show us about God is nines show us the peace of God. They show us the beautiful shalom of God. And when nines are healthy, they have learned how to live in harmony with themselves with others and with God. They're unselfish, they're flexible, and they're inclusive. But when nines are unhealthy, they can choose laziness in their lives. They have a hard time making decisions and they can become overly dependent on others because they're trying to keep the illusion that everything's gonna be okay when inside they wonder, is it really gonna be okay? So I'm curious, how many of you in the room would say, you identify with a type nine? All right, right here. Come on up. Would you help me welcome him? Tell me your name. David. David. Yes. All right, this is Juan. He's an eight. You're a nine. I'm a nine. Nines. All right, good. This is great. All right, so that's the nine. The next number is ones, okay? Ones are known as the reformer. They can also be known as the perfectionist, okay? If you got a one to be honest they would probably say to you, I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. They're driven by a need to be perfect or they want everyone else around them to be perfect. Ones are ethical, they're dedicated, they're reliable, they're motivated by a desire to live the right way, they want to improve the world, and they avoid ever wanting to be blamed for something. What ones show us about the character of God is they show us the goodness of God. That's why ones are so important. They show us the goodness of God. They show us that God is good, that he's faithful, that he's consistent. And when ones are healthy, they're living in integrity. They're responsible and they're able to forgive themselves and others for not being perfect. But when ones are not healthy... They can move to resentment. They can move to anger. And they fixate on small imperfections. And they become obsessed with micromanaging whatever they can. So that's the one. How many of you would say you identify with a type one? Oh, I got a lot right here in the front row. Come on up. All right. Let's welcome her. This is Juan. This is David. And you are Lucy. Welcome, Juan. It's great to have you. You can stand right here. Next to number nine, all right? The next number is twos. Twos are known as the helper. Twos are warm, they're caring, they're nurturing. Twos are kind of my favorite number on the Enneagram. They're just lovely people. They're motivated by a need to be loved though and needed and to avoid ever acknowledging that they themselves have needs. The two is almost always willing to say, I can help. As soon as possible, if something is out there where where help is needed, the two, the most natural response for them to say is, I can help. Twos show us the love of God. Twos reveal to us the characteristic of the love of God. When twos are healthy, they reflect the love of God in the world so beautifully. Twos are generous in their efforts to love well and to care for others. They're content, they're secure, and they're healthy about caring for themselves as much as they care about others. But when a two becomes unhealthy, they can move to pride. And they can become codependent with others. And when a two moves to unhealth in their own desire to be loved, they will accept almost any substitute for true love, and their pride shows up as they try to earn love because they believe that they set the standard for love. So how many of you in the room would say you identify with a two? All right, Julia, come on up here. Let's welcome her up here. Julia, meet your, your other friends here. Awesome. All right. We're moving along. Here we go. Threes. Threes are known as the performer. Uh, They don't like that title, and they usually like to be referred to as the achiever instead uh, because threes are very success-oriented. They're always achieving. They are the most image-conscious of the numbers, and they are wired for productivity. They're motivated by a need to be or appear to be successful, and they want to avoid failure at any cost. Threes are so confident that they even believe that they could persuade Bill Gates to go out and buy a Mac, okay? They're so confident with themselves. Threes show us the capacity of God. And when threes are healthy, they reflect God's sufficiency, they reflect his ability, and they reflect his capacities. And we see just how much God does when we see a healthy three. But the opposite of that is when a three is unhealthy, because when a three is unhealthy, they choose vanity, they choose image management, and they cannot make a mistake. Or if they make a mistake, they don't want anyone to know about it. Threes can tend towards deceit, telling fabricated stories about themselves and their accomplishments in order to maintain their image. So how many of you would say you identify with threes? I know there's some more in here. All right. Laura, come on up. Let's welcome Laura. Laura is a three. Meet your fellow numbers. All right, the next is the four. We're we're working our way through here. Fours are known as the individualists. They can also be known as the romantic. They're sensitive, they're often very creative. If they were to describe themselves, they would say, I am unique. No one else is like me, okay? That's how a four sees themselves. And they thank God that they are not like anyone else. Now, the four, the four is motivated by a need to be understood and to experience their oversized feelings. No other number on the Enneagram feels their feelings fuller than the four, okay? The four, the four shows us the creativity of God. That's why fours are so important in the world. They show us the creativity of God. They bring about such beauty in the world that they often leave us breathless and in awe. And when fours, when fours are not healthy, what happens is they get stuck in comparison games and they struggle with envy, Okay, so that's a four. How many of you would say you identify with a type four? Hi, Miss Shannon, come on up. <laughs> Will you help me welcome Shannon? These are your fellow numbers. You just said, she said, I knew you were going to call on me. (laughs) All right, fives. Fives are known as the investigators, okay? Fives are known as the investigator. They're perceptive. They're great observers. They're usually analytical and detached. They're motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy, and avoid relying on others. They like time alone. When we do that moment in the service where we say, turn and talk to people, fives want to literally run out of the room, okay? This is... of five. What fives show us is they show us the beautiful wisdom of God. When fives are healthy, they can see the long view of something. Their knowledge is off the charts and it's such a gift to the world. And when they're unhealthy, they don't want to depend on anyone or anything. They can be stingy, they can be defensive, and they can become preoccupied with security and scarcity. How many of you would say you identify with a type five? type fives in, oh, come on, hold your hands up higher. All right, Sean, come on up. Sean is a type five. Welcome, Sean. Come on up. Meet your fellow numbers. He just said he's my favorite five. Sixes. Sixes are known as the loyalist they're responsible, they're committed, they're practical, they can be witty, and they're worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. If the world comes to an end, you most definitely want to have a six with you, okay? Because a six has a plan. They know exactly how to avoid the world coming to an end. And 6s they show us the loyalty of God. They show us how faithful God is. When they're healthy, they show us how much we can depend on God because God is reliable. But when sixes are unhealthy, they can find danger around every single corner. Their anxiety drives them to believe the world is unfair and that most people are not who they say they are and they can't be trusted. How many of you would say you identify with a type six? A type six. Yeah, right over here. Come on up, Amanda. Meet your fellow numbers. All right, our last number. Sevens are known as the enthusiast, and the sevens love that I saved them for the last because sevens believe they are the best number on the Enneagram, okay? Sevens are joyful, they're fun, they're spontaneous, and they're adventurous. They're motivated by the need to be happy. They plan exciting experiences, but no matter what, they want to avoid pain. They would describe themselves as the life of the party and they see themselves as the best number on the Enneagram. Now sevens struggle with FOMO and what FOMO is, is the fear of missing out, okay? So sevens, they struggle struggle drastically from FOMO, but what sevens show us is they show us the joy of God. They bring joy as a gift everywhere they go and people feel lighter and more hopeful when they are with a healthy seven. But when sevens are unhealthy, they're constantly seeing themselves and the world as inadequate. And this number, more than any other number, is prone towards addiction. So that's what the seven is. How many of you would say you identify with a type seven? A bunch of partiers in this place. <laughs> Betty, come on up. Let's welcome her. <laughs> so this is what Jesus invites us to. Of course the seven has to greet every single one of them and she's probably gonna get their numbers and they're gonna hang out later, right? This is what Jesus invites us into. He invites us to turn the lights on so that we can see and be seen. And while you have a propensity towards each one of the numbers, every number is needed and every number is welcome at the table. And when we can actually see God in one another, when we can see his character in one another, when we can see how he is revealing himself through one another, we don't just get to see God more accurately, we get to see ourselves more accurately. And that's the gift of this tool of the Enneagram, is it helps us actually see ourselves And a complete knowing of ourselves simply includes knowing that we're deeply loved, knowing that we do have a propensity for sin, but knowing that Jesus uses it all for us to be transformed. And the way that we start seeing ourselves is when we show up and we let ourselves be seen. So would you help me thank these people that showed up to let themselves be seen? Thanks, you guys. You can take a seat. And I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna move into a time of worship. And one of my old, most favorite hymns has a line in it that says, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. And we're not gonna sing that song, but it is one of my favorite (laughs) songs. I once was blind, but now I see. And that's what Jesus does. He turns the lights on. He turns the lights on so that we can be seen. And when we see ourselves, we see one another. And we say to one another, guess what? You're welcome at the table. You're welcome at the table. And when we see ourselves and we see one another... Then we can actually see God. And Soul City, that is our deepest, deepest prayer for you that you would see God, and most importantly, that you would see how God sees you. Because when He sees you, He sees you as beloved son and beloved daughter. So let me pray for us, and we're gonna move into a time of worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we were all once blind. But now we see. And we thank you that we can lean on you. That we can trust in you. That we can depend on you. And we thank you that you see us as we truly are. So Jesus, would you be our cornerstone? Would you be our rock? Would you be our hope? As we show up in this world and let ourselves be seen. Amen.